Hi, and welcome to the Passionistas Project podcast. We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and before we start our interview today, we wanted to tell you about our upcoming event. From Friday, August 21st through Sunday, August 23rd, we'll be hosting the Passionistas Project Women's Equality Summit. The three-day virtual event will feature live panel discussions, pre-recorded presentations, daily workshops, the Passionistas Portrait Storyteller event, the LunaFest Short Film Festival, a virtual marketplace, and a pay-it-forward portal. We'll also be presenting the first annual Passionistas Persist Humanitarian Award to a very special honoree. The weekend is centered around the theme of women's equality and intersectional feminism from a range of perspectives, including racial equality, LGBTQ rights, financial equity, voter suppression, ageism, physical and mental health issues, religious persecution, and so much more. And best of all, it's free for the weekend. Go to thepassionistasproject.com to register. And now for today's interview. We're talking with Kat Calvin, the founder and executive director of Spread the Vote and the co-founder and CEO of Project ID. A lawyer, activist, and social entrepreneur, Kat has built a national organization that helps Americans obtain the ID they need for jobs, housing, and life, and that also allows them to go to the polls. Kat is an advisor to Ragtag and Demcast and sits on the boards of the California Women's List. Kat is one of the Time Magazine's 16 people and groups fighting for a more equal America, 2018 Fast Company 100 Most Creative People in Business, and has been a Business Insider 30 Under 30, the Grigio 100, and more. So please welcome to the show, Kat Calvin. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us today, Kat. What's the one thing you're most passionate about? That's an incredibly difficult question. Probably movies. I love movies more than anything. That's probably my great passion in life. What is it about movies that means so much to you? I came up in theater and I love storytelling and I love accessible storytelling. And so I sort of studied a lot of theater and sort of the difference between the way theater was during the times of Aeschylus and Shakespeare when it was for the commons. And now it's less accessible, but TV and film, and particularly now that we have streaming, et cetera, it's accessible for everyone. And I think that great storytelling that everyone can see is really amazing. And I come from a big movie loving family. So it's most of my early memories have to do with like Butch and Sundance or Hitchcock or something. And it's pretty much what I talk about all the time. If I'm not talking about IDs or voting, most people are like you are in the wrong business. If I had to choose one great passion, I'm sure the answer should be something related to what I do for a living, but it's actually movies, which is no secret to anybody. So let's talk a little bit about what you do for a living. So talk about Spread the Vote and what inspired you to start it. At Spread the Vote, we help people get government-issued photo ID, which they use for jobs, housing, to get food at many food banks, to sleep in many shelters, et cetera, everything you need an ID for in life. And then in many states across the country, uh, they also use them to vote. So we help folks get all of the documents required, birth certificates, proofs of residency, insurance, or not insurance, um, identity, et cetera. We pay for everything. We provide transportation advocacy at the DMV and government offices um, and do whatever it takes to get an ID in their hands. This is all pre-apocalypse, of course. And then when an election comes around, we, we make sure they're all registered to vote. And then we uh, do a lot of voter education. 77% of our clients have never voted before. So we do a lot of helping just walk folks through the process and what's going to be on the ballot and how to vote, et cetera. And then we take them to the polls. So it's sort of the process A to Z. I started it after the 2016 elections. Actually, we're about to have our 
third birthday. I started December of 16, but we have count our official uh, birthday as May 6th, which is when we launched our first chapter. And so now we're in 12 states. We're working hard getting IDs every day until like a month ago. And now we're all just like waiting for the zombies to come. Don't watch any more zombie movies. That's not going to help you right now. It's just going to make it harder. That is an incredible mission to be on. Was there an inciting incident that inspired you to do this? Or was it just kind of something that had been on your mind? I would say the election in November of 2016 was the inciting incident. I had studied voting rights in law school um, and sort of done a lot of work around it um, and sort of the Voting Rights Act, but we still had one at that time. I didn't really feel that it was a really pressing need to like go into voting rights work. And I went into some other spaces. And then when the VRA was um, declawed in um, 2013, we started to see a lot of things change about voting in America, but particularly uh, voter ID laws were being passed um, pretty quickly. And then the 16 elections were the first national elections where we didn't have the protections of the Voting Rights Act and where we saw the effects of a lot of these uh, new laws and rules, um, including the effects of voter ID laws. Um, and I, I had run some other organizations and I had some health issues and I had sort of decided to retire. And that lasted a year, then the election happened. And so then I knew I had to sort of get started again. And there were a lot of really fantastic organizations trying to fight uh, voter ID laws through judicial or legislative remedies, which have been less successful than would be desired. Uh, but there weren't any organizations, national organizations, just getting IDs. So that sort of made sense to me as a good place to start. Talk about the nuts and bolts of it. How do you go about finding the people who need these IDs and how do you help them? Well, there are over 21 million people in the country over the age of 18 uh, who do not have government-issued photo ID. So finding people who need help getting ID is not a challenge. We uh, partner with um, a ton of organizations. Uh, any type of organization that works with the same 11% of the population that we work with, um, if you don't have an ID, then you can't get a job, uh, get housing, et cetera. So it's a, a large percentage of people who are experiencing homelessness, a lot of returning citizens, um, a lot of seniors and students um, like with low or no incomes. Um, so we partner with shelters and food banks and prisons and jails and public defenders and schools and senior centers and just all of those types of organizations. And we either go to them or they refer people to us, depending on the situation. You know, we work with a lot of uh, domestic violence um, shelters. And so, you know, there we have to be specially trained and they refer people to us versus if we're going to a food bank once a week. So we really work with each community based on um, what works best for them. Um, and then we have are mostly volunteers. Uh, we have over 600 trained volunteers, but then we also have a few field staff uh, who go into these spaces. Um, and and connect with a client. Uh, we also get, you know, at this point, a lot of people who call us or, or, you know, email us or fill out a form online that we have, but they all get connected with someone who then walks them through that process of helping them get those documents, paying for everything, helping them get to vital records and the DMV and wherever they need to go and making sure they get the ID in their hand. Why is this so important right now? Right now, it's important because there are over 21 million people in this country who don't have the ID. They need to see a doctor, <laughs> right? Like there are really immediate needs. You can't do anything really without an ID. And so uh, when you think about, you know, people who need to get employed, one of the first things that happens 
almost every time we get someone ideas, they say, I can apply for jobs now. Or we have a lot of people who get jobs but can't start them because they don't have ID. Um, and so, you know, you cannot escape poverty without an ID. Um, you can't get off the streets independently without an ID. And so being able to help someone get that means that they are able to, you know, pursue employment opportunities. Um, you know, a lot of cities and, and shelters have place, housing placement services, but you can't get one without an ID. And um, the reason we work with a lot of government agencies and uh, shelters, et cetera, is because they don't have the capacity and, and knowledge to get IDs. So, you know, we've got people lining up, you know, around multiple city blocks to go to food banks right now. Most food banks require ID. Uh, so they're necessary for life. They are, they can literally be life and death. And we've seen that more than once, but they are also a requirement to be able to change one's circumstance. And then on top of that, in quite a few states, you need an ID to be able to vote. And so if you don't have that identification, then you don't have the ability to exercise a basic, you know, fundamental right. This is also for us an obvious question. I mean, we need to get an ID. We need the, the real ID that's coming out. So we have to gather together our social security card and a electric bill and go to the DMV. But someone who's homeless and living on the streets doesn't have an electric bill and doesn't maybe have access to their social security card. So how do you help them actually qualify to even get an ID? So every state has very long lists of the types of documents that you can bring to the DMV. For most people, it's a mortgage or a, a, a you know, a electric bill or whatever. And so those are sort of the top things on the list that most people go and get. However, there are a lot of other types of documents. And so it depends on the state. And it depends on the person's situation. Um, but, you know, we can frequently use a church or a shelter address uh, to get uh, to use for the DMV. One great thing about voter registration is that a voter registration card counts as a proof of identity in most states. So we can use that. So we have frequently had to chase down, we're constantly having to chase down records from the Department of Corrections or um, military records um, because we help a lot of veterans get IDs and they can't get the VA, ben VA benefits without IDs, but veterans don't just get IDs. And so um, depending sort of on that, that their background or we, you know, track down sort of medical records um, or old school records or sort of whatever. So it depending on the state and on the person's situation, we go through the very long list of what documents are accepted by the DMV. And then we compare that with what the person has or what their history is. And so we figure out what it is we think that we can get for them. The amount of people on your team must have to be enormous. Can you talk about your team and how you've built that over the course of the last few years? Yeah, I mean, we certainly need a ginormous team. I, we're lucky we have, we have a lot of really incredible volunteers and we have an online training program that they go through to get certified. I mean, I invented the certification, but it counts. Uh, but <laughs> they get trained to be able to work with our clients and get IDs. We have some field staff members in the, in some of our states uh, who are incredible and sort of just get IDs full time. That's their job, and they do a really amazing job at that. And then we have a you know sort of small national team that helps with yeah uh, you know our general counsel who is just constantly busy. Um you know and and helping organize things and our volunteer director who's one person who's managing over six hundred volunteers. We are mostly working with volunteers and mostly just working really hard to recruit and train and support um, our volunteers in, you know, 12 states with as many people as there are. There's always 
some adventure every day, there's a phone call with a new situation. Um, and so sort of dealing with all of that while also having, um, you know, we're lucky enough to have some field staff who are able to just every day do this. We have some volunteers who've been with us since actually since they helped us get our the volunteers that helped us get our very first IDs in Virginia years ago are still with us and are now up to hundreds and are now probably the world's leading experts in getting IDs. And then, you know, we have uh, field staff who have you know gotten hundreds of IDs and, uh, and do it every day, um, et cetera. And so for the first year or a little under the first year, I was our only employee and sort of did everything. And then I'm just, you know, it's a nonprofit. So it's just all fundraising all the time. Um, and I was able to fundraise enough to start hiring staff and was able to bring in some great people. And then we sort of grew and built it out and sort of tried to figure out an experiment, like what makes the most sense as far as staffing and sort of just a lot of the sort of basic startup stuff of you throw it out there, you figure it out. And I um, then just ended up with this really great team. Obviously, the current state of voting rights issues is a little crazy. There's a lot going on. There's a big election coming up. So why is this issue important? And why should people care about what's going on with voting rights right now? Life is interesting right now. So there's a couple of things happening. The first is we have zero idea what life is going to look like in November. You know, hopefully I will be allowed to leave my house soon or I might burn it down. Um, but, you know, we don't know what the world is going to look like. And so a lot of us, I think most of us in this space are really trying to build out like 12 contingency plans. Everyone saw the disaster in Wisconsin of forcing people to vote, of forcing them to vote in fewer polling places, um, where now we, you know, they've had multiple, I think the last I saw was 19, but it's so highly contagious that that number will go up, of uh, COVID cases that are coming out of that situation. And so everyone, I think, recognizes that regardless of what the world looks like in November and whether we're allowed back out. It's not going to be anything close to normal. We're still going to have to avoid gathering in large groups. And it's going to be very, very important to keep as many people away from the polling places as possible so that people who have to vote in person are able to. Uh, so there is a big movement right now towards vote by mail, which is fantastic. Uh, vote by mail is by no means a panacea. It should not be the only option in any state. However, it should be part of a really great comprehensive voting package. And so uh, the goal is to get all of the states that don't have vote by mail or easy vote by mail. A lot of states you can do it if you are absentee with certain excuses, things like that, um, to open that up so that um, anyone can vote by mail, which would significantly reduce the number of people who go to polling places. And we'll have some increase on, on, on voter turnout as well. So I think that's one thing that's really moving forward. The irony is that in no state, well, there's a possible Kentucky exception, which I'll talk about, but the ID is not required when you vote by mail, which, you know, is ironic because the only type of voter fraud that exists in a very, very, very small percentage is vote, vote by mail. However, voter fraud is used as the excuse to pass voter ID laws, and it's not. So, you know, that is one benefit to it. Um, Kentucky just took time out of a pandemic to pass an even stricter voter ID law than they already had. And they are trying something new. They are trying to make people have to make a photocopy of their ID to send in with their vote by mail ballot, 
which I can't imagine standing uh, in courts. For one thing, who owns a printer? Like nobody owns a printer. Um, and so like the idea that this is a thing that could happen, uh, I think it's bonkers. I might, but it is something that they're trying. So we'll see. But that is, I think that's a, a new thing in pretty much every other state. You don't have to show ID to vote by mail. There are other problems with vote by mail. Studies have shown over and over again that people of color have their ballots thrown out at a much higher percentage than white voters. And so that is something that, you know, that's why a lot of people of color choose to vote in person, because there is no guarantee that if you vote, your ballot is ever actually going to be counted. I think that there are a lot of things that we can do to try to make that process more secure. But we're also in a global pandemic. And so for a lot of us, the choice will be vote by mail or don't. And I vote by mail every election because I don't believe in wearing pants when I'm voting. I can wear my PJs. I can have a glass of wine. I can vote. Like vote pantsless. It's just, it's the only way to go. So I think that's one big thing we're seeing. Another big thing we're seeing is trying to get young people to be poll workers. Uh, poll workers are traditionally heavily elderly ladies. I'm, my mother is always a poll worker and my mother is always one of the youngest people there. And they're, they're these like wonderful, amazing, dedicated women who do this. And, and, you know, a lot of men, but it's a lot of older ladies. And it is, pull, working the pool is hard. It's, it's a miserable job. I always have to help my mother clean up and set up. And it's a very difficult thing that I think they go very underappreciated. But right now, the exact population who we really need to stay inside and be protected is the population that usually works the polls. And so there are now some efforts being made to really try to get younger people to be trained to work the polls. In many states, you get paid some amount of money in order to do it. You know, it's an important service uh, and we really need a different demographic to come out and choose to do that. So there's an effort to recruit folks to do more of that. So I think that that everyone is sort of trying to figure out. There's also, this has really changed the way we do GOTV. I mean, normally, you know, normally my organization would be out getting IDs right now as I speak, and we're not. Um, and so we're having to change the way we work and do work virtually and, you know, do more things with state agencies. You know, a jail that we're working with got 27 IDs last week because they can still do that. And so we're trying to, you know, do as much work as we can in the ways that we can. This is right now the time when voting rights organizations would be out talking to communities of color, low-income communities, and starting to, you know, not even starting, really, being in the middle of the process of talking to people about voting because the get-out-the-vote process is a very long process. It's not something you can just do in October. Um, and there are a lot of communities that don't have access to the internet or to phone. And so we there's it's a difficult thing to do right now. So everyone's trying to adapt and trying to figure out, okay, if we can all leave our houses in August, then that gives us, you know, two and a half months maybe to be able to like get back on the streets and work and what does that look like? So there are some efforts being made. There's also just a lot of contingency planning and there's some just sort of like, okay, well, we're going to do what we can now and then wait and see what happens because we don't know what the world's going to look like in November. We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and you're listening to the Passionistas Project podcast and our interview with Kat Calvin. We're excited to announce that Kat will be moderating the panel, How Far Have We Come in 100 Years? Making Sure All Women Can Vote, on Saturday, August 22nd, during the Passionistas Project Women's Equality Summit. To register for free for the online event, visit thepassionistasproject.com. Visit spreadthevote.org and projectid.org to learn more about the work Kat is doing, and be sure to tune in to Vote the Podcast with her co-host, Andrea Haley, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's more of our interview with Kat. 
So especially during these crazy times, what can the average person do to help you and in your organization and also just in terms of keeping focused on the election ahead? What can we do, do to help? So you can go to uh, spreadthevote.org slash volunteer. Luckily, all of our training is already online. So you can, um, if you live in one of our 12 states, uh, which you can find on our website, you can um, get trained. We're going to have, uh, we also already do all of our volunteer summits virtually, and we had one planned for this summer. So uh, we are working very hard to build an even bigger volunteer army so that the day that we can get back on the streets, we can go out in full force and try to make up for some lost time. I also recommend, you know, I, I am... I am always going to uh, preach in favor of local elections and say, stop paying attention to the Iron Throne. It really doesn't matter all that much. Local elections matter and state elections matter and Congress matters. And candidates are working very hard to um, make sure that there are virtual, come, come up with virtual ways to campaign. And, you know, we had some already, text making and phone making and things like that. They're coming up with creative ways. Find some local candidates you care about. Like who is your senator? Who is your you know your representative in Congress? Uh, who are your state legislative representatives? And work on supporting them and helping to get out the vote. And particularly looking at and press them on how are they working to uh, reach communities of color and low income communities that they traditionally would either be reaching out to in person or frankly most don't really pay attention to even when they should be because they really need to you know be thinking about what that looks like and they really need support and I think there are a lot of people who think that they can't support candidates right now because they can't like go knock on doors or they can't have a texting party and you still can't so that's really critical and then you know I always point people towards Indivisible um, which is a fantastic organization which has a lot of local they, I think they have at least two chapters in every district in the country, which is insane. Always working on finding really innovative and great ways for people to get involved, whether it's virtual, I now or in person later. Everyone right now is trying very hard to figure out what to do and and you know sort of switch methods as much as possible. And we really need people to help get involved, uh, whether it's doing a lot right now or whether it's prepping right now to be able to do a lot the second we can get back on the ground. Is there a particular trait that you think has helped you succeed? Well, I mean, I get, uh, I mean, I could say perseverance. It's such a cliche, but it's true. I, I don't think you can't be a successful entrepreneur without it. Or probably a successful anything else, but I've only ever been a successful entrepreneur. Perseverance, like just knowing, all right, I'm doing this thing. It's important. I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> I'm going to fail like 8,000 times, and yeah, but that's fine. Like I'm going to make it work. I think it's really important. And so whether that's perseverance or a little bit of grit or both, I think is is really key because you will hit so many roadblocks and have so many tragedies. And, you know, like I, if I could burn just all of last year to the ground, I would. I am, and like, you just have to be like, just keep getting up every day. Frozen 2, first of all, if you haven't watched Frozen 2, turn this off, watch Frozen 2, come back and finish this. Uh, it's incredible. It's on Disney Plus, uh, which is the greatest thing to happen in 2020, which is a low bar, but still. But uh the best song in Frozen 2 is not Into the Unknown. Sorry, Elsa. It's actually the next right thing. And it is a song, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh my God, this is my life. Because it's all about how when everything is terrible, you just have to take one more step. And you just have to think, what is the next thing I'm supposed to do? And sometimes that's just like, get out of bed, which can be really hard. And that 
when you are an entrepreneur, when you're trying to do something new or something no one's ever done before, it's going to be really difficult. And you're going to have a lot of people tell you all of the reasons that you are an idiot and a failure and this will never work and you're a terrible person and you're wasting time or whatever. And, you know, things will get really hard. And if you can just do the next right thing, just take the next steps and the next email in the next you know fundraising letter or whatever like that actually does get you through because then you look back if you did 10 things and now you're you're at a better place um and that that i think is probably the biggest key to my like still being alive <laughs> and still running this thing is there a lesson that you've learned on your journey that really sticks with you i mean i think it's the other side of that I was very afraid to go into this year because last year was so terrible. And then I was talking to someone and they were like, yeah, but you survived last year and you're here. And I was like, oh, actually, that's true. If I survived that, <laughs> I stupidly that I could survive anything not knowing the apocalypse was coming. And I may not survive being stuck in my house for the rest of my life. But I'm, you know, I think that it's the constant lesson. And this has been a big lesson just of my entire life. And like the older I get, the more that I, I learned this is like, things seem so terrible when you're on one side of it. Um, and particularly when you're young, like when I was in my you know, teens and 20s, like one bad thing would happen. And I thought it was the end of the world. But then the older you get, you realize, oh, actually, I survived that. And I forgot about it. You know, like that thing that I thought was going to kill me six months ago, I don't even remember anymore. I am and that thing I was obsessing about for weeks, I can't even remember that person's name. And so I think that, you know, and then the older you get and the more you do and the bigger risks you take and the more successful you are, the crashes are harder and they're still very frequent, but you get through them more quickly and more easily because, you know, I'm going to get through this. I survived that last thing. I can survive this. It's okay if I'm super obsessing about this today because in three days I know I won't be. You just have that perspective, which you can only get through just living and just failing and just trying things failing again. It's like, you know, I, I love to run and work out and every run, well, not every run is easier, but like six months, you know, I can do a run and you know, like the 10 miles is way easier. And I can think back like, Oh my God, six months ago, like eight was really hard, you know, and it's the same thing with life and with experience. And I think that that makes you more willing to try big things. Um, and it also, it makes the inevitable failures a little easier because you know, you're going to get through it. You have before. So what's the most rewarding part of your career? Oh, the people who, uh, who we help get IDs and, you know, we get just every day. There's, you know, just so many stories that come in of people whose lives have changed and people who didn't have IDs for sometimes six months, sometimes, you know, I think the person who we helped get an ID who didn't have one the longest was 40 years and everything in between. And just knowing that every single day we're able to help someone get the thing that they need to change their lives, that they couldn't get on their own. And that um, was the big barrier between them living the lives that they, they want to live, that they hope to live um, and being stuck in the same place. So just getting to do that every day and getting to do that with a really amazing group of people uh, is is completely rewarding. What's the biggest risk you have taken and how did it pay off? Oh, definitely this. I quit my job and drove my car across the country with some money we raised on, uh, like me and some volunteers raised with a little crowdfunding campaign and was like, I'll just start a nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> hope it works out and I'll put all of this on my Amex and figure out how to pay it off later. I um, think that was, was 
you know, I've taken little risks. I've started other things, but this was by far the biggest risk. And I mean, I'm gonna knock on all the words. So far, it's paid off. Like even even if disaster strikes and we enter the greatest depression, and you know, I have to shut all the doors and move under a bridge. I, you know, there are thousands and thousands of people who have IDs now whose lives were changed because of the work we did. And so that will always stand. So no matter what happens in the future, it is 100% worth everything that I've had to go through because, you know, there's that person whose life was changed because of this. What advice would you give to a young woman who wants to be an entrepreneur? Don't go to law school. If I could go back, um, don't go to law school. Don't do anything that would have you acquire student loans. I, you don't need to go to that incredibly expensive school. Go to the great, fantastic state school that will either be less expensive or give you a full ride. So that's my first thing. Like student loans will kill you. And it makes it much more difficult to be an entrepreneur, for sure. Also, I know there's a big trend towards, well, trend. I mean, at this point, it's as old as I am. But, you know, like being very young and starting a thing. But then there's a reason that we so often see those companies either have horrifically bad managers who torture their staffs or they're running Ponzi schemes or they're failing in epic ways or, you know, they're going to prison sometimes. You know, there is real value in learning from people who have been there before you. I learned, I have had some horrible jobs at places that people think are really great and are actually like insidious hellholes. And I learned a lot there. And a lot of what I do is like things that I learned not to do in those corporations or those large nonprofits or whatever. Um, But you just, you get so much experience. Everything that I am using, that I used to build Spread the Voter are lessons that I learned and things I learned how to do, or at least learned the basics of from previous jobs. And I think that it's so important. And also, you know, I try to listen and learn from people who are older than me as much as possible. If I'm talking to an older person and they start a story with during the war, like my whole day is canceled. I am sitting there. I will keep buying them because during the war, what? Like that is literally, I live for that. I've heard great stories from old men in bars about like stuff that happened during Vietnam. And I'm sure 80% of it is a total lie and I don't care. You know, and it's, it's, there's, it's so important, you know, um, we, I, you know, always have people who are older than me, you know, working on, at the organization or as mentors or whatever. And you can just learn so much from people who have been there before you. And it even feels weird to me to say that, but there's this like just such derision against anyone who's not like a 21 year old genius. And there are no 21 year old geniuses. And so I think that really being sure you're learning and that you're giving yourself plenty of opportunities to figure out who you really are and what you really want to do. Um, And then that you're studying that space. I get so many young people who want to talk to me about their businesses and, you know, say I spoke to a young woman once and she wanted to start a business in fashion. And I mentioned something about women's wear daily and she didn't know what it was. And I was like, well, you can't, you can't have an, an organization, a business in fashion if you don't know Women's Wear Daily. It's the like cornerstone fashion magazine, right? And like you have to do your research. You have to know the basics. If you're going into voting rights, read every book about voting rights. Know the text of the Voting Rights Act. Know who came before you and what they've done. You know, we I think we interviewed everybody that we could find from the ACLU to the Brennan Center to local organizations as we were trying to figure out. What have people tried before? What has worked? Why hasn't it worked? You know, and then we would come up with ideas and we'd call back, 
you know, some of the same people and say, what do you think about this? And they'd say, this is going to work. And that's a terrible idea. And this is why this has failed 85 times. And that's what helped us get to a solution that worked. You have to do your homework and you have to, to be knowledgeable. Um, there's nothing cute or, or fun or interesting about being an entrepreneur who doesn't know their space. And Google is free. So really, you, ha- you have to, to know what you're doing or know the business you're getting into in order to be able to know what you're doing. And don't go to law school for the love of God. Thanks for listening to the Passionistas Project podcast and our interview with Kat Calvin. Visit spreadthevote.org and projectid.org to learn more about the work Kat is doing. And be sure to tune in to Vote the Podcast with her co-host, Andrea Haley, available wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to register for the Passionistas Project Women's Equality Summit to hear Kat's live panel, How Far Have We Come in 100 Years? Making Sure All Women Can Vote, on Saturday, August 22nd. The summit is sponsored by Annette Kaler, Innovation and Intellectual Property Attorney, LA Pride Christopher Street West, Luna Hall Nutrition Bars, the premium beverage company Tea Drops, Trizcom Public Relations, and public speaking coaching company Ubu Skills. To register for free for the online event, visit thepassionistasproject.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Passionistas Project podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming inspiring guests.